And welcome to the Heart Guide Media Podcast, Albums That Matter Edition. Today we are covering The Clash, self-titled album, 1977. It was a, a landmark album for uh, punk rock and uh, the UK music scene in general. Uh, today we have Mr. Eric Scott Tyler and Mr. Lewis Smith both appearing today to talk Albums That Matter, The Clash, self-titled. Hello, hello. Good afternoon. And uh, so obviously all of us are Clash fans, but uh, so The Clash is an interesting band, and I, I mean it all starts with this. It all starts, you know, I mean, obviously we're going to talk the Ramones because one, it's just going to happen. Two, it, you know, it it goes without saying the, the Ramones had an influence. Joe Strummer ad- admitting in many interviews that the Ramones had, you know, a big influence on them. Uh, so you can put the and when you think of the two biggest punk bands of the '70s, I know a lot of people throw that that one album band in here all the time, and I do like that album, but we're not going to talk about that band because right now the only band that matters, uh, the Clash. Um, obviously, Juggernaut album. When was the when was the first time both of you guys got introduced to the Clash? I'll let, uh, I'll let Luke, uh go first on this one so obviously apart from like various you know i I feel like i'd heard train in vain a shit ton in like movies and shows and stuff like that growing up but this was actually the first album that i had picked up um i don't know probably like eighth grade or so um i kind of went on a, a spree of just like downloading some songs here and there and i'd gotten it of course from barnes noble the best place to buy punk records you know (laughs) and uh and dude i i ended up buying like the uk version of this so which i think is the is the real version of this i don't like the u.s track listing i don't like the arrangement i don't like the songs omitted so i've always been a uk like and that's how i found it too was the uk track listing as well yeah and dude it just was fucking it was unreal like how insane this album was so yeah that was basically my my introduction to the clash in general i'd have to say it was a mixture of like random comps that i'd either stump across downloading random songs based off of movie soundtracks or hearing it in shows um that was pretty much my introduction uh i didn't really have somebody be like hey you need to listen to the clash it was more like i'd heard it subliminally but not really realized what the fuck i was actually listening to right how about you eric uh, I'd say, well, same with Lou, kind of, like, obviously, you'd, you'd heard you'd heard some songs here and there, but I think the first time I actually really gave him a full listen was, uh, I'm sure you guys both remember the awesome fun and skate in Oneida, New York. Oh, yeah. There used, be, <laughs> there used to be a skateboard night that they had. I can't remember what night of the week it was, but me and my buddies would obviously go there, and there were some older dudes there who would, uh, they would let people play music, and, uh, there would always be someone who was playing a lot of punk, you know. Um, back then, it was a lot, a lot of no effects and like Pennywise. We heard a lot, but I remember um, somebody played the Clash there. I think the song um, was uh, I can't remember the exact song it was, but I, I know it was off London Calling, I believe. And I was like, oh, like this sounds really cool. Like, what is this? And then I kind of dove deeper into that. I, I will admit, like the self-titled record was not the first thing i listened to but when i did uh, check it out it was uh, the uk version as well I, I agree with you guys on that where uh that one is probably the real version i guess but so you know first getting into music i will you know i i was more into you know the, the I mean, my progression to punk was a little bit later i think uh, i listened to like you know the metal and the, and the dumb metal stuff and then into hardcore but uh, you're trailing off uh, a little eric Oh, can you hear me now? Or yeah, you're right, or you're what? you're good now. You're good now. All right, perfect. Yeah, so so basically, yeah, just like getting into punk and, and uh, listening to bands. Uh, uh, that's that's the first time I, I dove into uh, the Clash. So probably yeah, like eighth grade, ninth grade, something like that. So I think the first time that I heard them was definitely like ninety six nine or like ninety five X. Should I stay or should I go? Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, hearing that. And and it was it was odd finding that band because I kind of immediately hearing that song and knowing like okay this is the Clash just like how you know 
sitting in the back of the the you know eighty whatever five Ford Bronco or whatever, and uh, hearing okay, moving in stereo, that's the cars. Uh, you know, should I stay or should I go? That's the Clash. You know, paranoid. That's Black Sabbath. Uh, so I I always uh kind of associated them with like a. I guess like a standard like radio rock band from the 70s initially without even, you know, diving before I dove into them. I just kind of wrote them all. Okay, they're a band on the radio. So when I found out, I'm like, okay, I've never heard the Ramones on the radio. This is great. Uh, so finding out that they were kind of like sharing common ground as far as the genre was, when I discovered The Clash, I was like, did they like, you know, being, of course, being like, you know, 12, 13 years old, oh, the fucking Clash sell out. Is that what happened? Which you can have your own opinions on combat rock or whatever, whatever. Because uh, I, I like everything up until Cut the Crap. Uh, yeah. But um, it was definitely hearing that. The first full Clash album I listened to, though, I'm right along with Eric. I never heard... I didn't hear the the self-titled until after I, I found London Calling. Once I found London Calling, that opened the floodgates for The Clash for me. Um, but hearing the self-titled, self-titled was definitely the second record I heard. And I think before, like, just getting into those records, uh, seeing on, like, VH1 Classic 2 in the early 2000s, uh, 2000, 2001, 2002, seeing, like, the random VH1 Classic would always play, like, rant, like the Tommy Gunn music video, or, like, the clampdown music video, like, the most random shit, and I was like, oh, shit, fuck yeah, um, so when I found the self-titled, I was just like, oh, shit, I understand, after I listened to it in full, uh, I was, then I was like, oh, wow, I see now why this band is so revered within the punk rock genre, like, this, I thought they were just, like, you know, they had a couple, a couple hits around 95X, and that was it, but then later on, you know, finding that record, and, uh, I was like, holy shit, like, this band is definitely like, you know, even at a young age, I could tell that this band was seminal to that genre. Right. You know, the, the thing that stuck out with me mostly about the class was, is, is, uh, just how eclectic they were and how they, you know, they just really kind of were like a driving force and they didn't really care. It, it, the perception I got was, uh, you knew what they were listening to and no matter what genre and they weren't afraid to play it. I know, like you said, uh, the funny thing you said about people like, oh, what do they sell out and stuff like that. But especially when you're younger, when you're thinking about bands, you think about, oh, like this band is punk, this band is metal, like they can't do this or that. I just thought it was always really cool that they just had, they were unapologetic about, you know, what they were into and, and, and one song can sound completely different than the next. They just kind of, they were who they were. They liked what they liked. They put it out there and uh, that always stuck with me, so... Yeah, I mean, obviously the, you know the, the reggae influence has been there. I mean, pretty much from the beginning. Uh, obviously, it got way more trickled in as albums went on. But I mean, this record is just, uh, you know, what do you like? Where do you guys pair it when you hear, you know, when you think about those early or those mid to late seventies when punk was becoming, you know quote-unquote, you know, the genre, the the ECW of the the rock and roll world, if you will. Um, and, you know, the UK, obviously, there's fucking pogoing, and the Sex Pistols were kind of, like, doing their thing and kind of putting, like, a an odd name on punk. Is it, uh, you know, the name that a lot of people recognize it with. Like, some people, when you say punk rock to them, a lot of people have different opinions on what they think punk rock is. Obviously, like a 45 year old woman right now bringing her kids to uh well she's not bringing her kids anywhere because of COVID-19 but uh you know sitting in her house watching everybody loves Raymond with her kids right now if you say punk to her she she'd immediately think Green Day which obviously Green Day was a punk band and kind of grew up into like this kind of like epic rock band kind of that sold out arenas but at the same time you know you say punk to somebody they some someone may think the safety pins and the pogoing of the sex pistols i think it's fair to say that the clash was kind of the first wildly uh political band that always had a political stance um more so than an anarchy in the uk that i feel like as much as people want to think it was political it was more just you know let's shit talk the queen and be you know goofy about it 
Uh, no, The Clash was a fir- the first, I think, serious uh, band that was labeled punk, because obviously you had some bands uh, like the MC5 that obviously they were fighting like side-by-side with the Black Panthers in Detroit and things like that. But as far as a band of, you know, those first few huge punk rock bands of the mid to late 70s, they were the first band that was really, like, politically driven and stayed politically driven, but at the same time had all the pop pop sensibilities and were just kind of an all-encompassing band. Yeah, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. You know, for me, it's like this this album, you know, going along with the, the title of this whole episode... You know, to me, this album, I think, matters specifically because, you know, in the UK punk scene, this basically proved to the rest of the world as well as the scene that, like, you know, punk had some sort of a future. You know, if you look at at, at what, like, the Pistols represented, it's like, dude, fucking Steve Jones has been quoted being like, we're not even into music. We're just, like, into chaos. And, And it's great because, you know, The Clash, they took some they took themselves seriously but it, it purely showed they were there to make a statement, but also they were there for the music. And, you know, shit like that, like, I, I had I'd done a little research, like, moving into this, and I, I caught an interview um, where, like, The Clash was, like, kind of pissed off at the whole stage act of the Pistols because they were basically making, quote-unquote, the punk movement it made him look like a bunch of fucking dumbasses. Oh yeah. And that pissed off the clash. Cause it's like, we're being lumped in with you guys. What the fuck is your problem? Like we want to actually play music and get a point across, not just pick our noses and fucking spit on people. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> what are you fucking toddlers? Like Jesus <laughs> Christ. Well, that's what's so, it's so, uh, divisive, I guess. And, and just, uh, polarizing the punk, the punk scene was then too, because, and I feel like, not that the the Ramones were either. I think the Ramones were kind of their own separate thing and were just kind of more so a straight-up rock and roll band that was just playing faster and more pissed off than anyone. So they got labeled punk. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, you listen to a lot of their stuff. It, it's without a doubt, you know, identifies as, you know, to me, they are the punk rock band. They are the first punk rock band, and they're another band that never, n- never really abided by... Uh, rules even when they tried to they couldn't they, they tried to sell out <laughs> and they couldn't <laughs> and uh but with the clash i think uh you know this album kind of really i think it it it, it did too and i think you saw that with give them enough rope and uh and then following uh with uh london calling after that I think the the Clash did have like a chip on their shoulder, like an axe to grind to prove the legitimacy of the UK punk scene. Well, yeah, and on top of that, I mean, you obviously bring up the Ramones. Like, I agree, I agree with you, fucking, you know, hundred percent. Like, preach, brother. You know, and and what's interesting about that too is very similar to the Ramones. You know, the Clash kind of towing that same line. The Clash, like the Ramones, they could play. And they had been playing, you know, so it wasn't just going off on stage and like kind of showing off and and whatever, like a fashion statement and shit, a boy band. It's like these guys actually could play their instruments. And and obviously, yes, we've seen the footage of of Ramones when they first started and no one playing the same song and fucking shit. Just it's it's comical. But, you know, they they could back it up. And obviously we saw how long, you know, from fucking the first record in 76 to fucking 96, it's like they could do it, you know, and, and I put the clash in that same camp as they could back their shit up. They, they were doing it for the music, you know? And that's, what's so like, uh, interesting about this. And, and you guys can weigh in too, is the like, you know, we talk about how the Ramones were just a rock and roll band and it remained a rock and roll band to the end. Just, just played until they couldn't play anymore until Joey's health was so bad and you know, and, and him and John were saying three words to each other, and it was all about bank statements, and and uh, they played, and they just kept going. But and they just wore. Here's the, something that's interesting about you bring up the fashion, and this is all tying into that time frame too. Obviously, '77, the Ramones are are off the heels of their debut, and they're getting ready to you know, or they are re- had released "Leave Home" or, or "Rocket Russia" and "Leave Home," both those albums coming out in '77. And then you get, uh, you know, The Clash is self-titled. And, uh, you know, The Clash was another band. Like, the Ramones just wore what they wore. 
They made a fashion statement without trying to make a fashion statement. They made a fashion statement not because they were trying to, but because they were cool and they weren't trying to. And same thing with The Clash. And The Clash was another band that had like a style about them uh, from the first from the first album until until you know right through. They they had like a you know a style about them and like a fashion about them too. The way that they you know Strummer wearing like the Western shirts. And, and uh, back to what Eric said, they just kind of did their own thing, and they didn't really give a fuck what anybody else was really doing. And, you know, they were the f- first punk band to really, you know, bring the reggae thing into it. And, and I think, without The Clash, I don't think there's Ska without The Clash. Dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Here, go ahead, Eric. No, no, no. You, you, you <laughs> No, I was just going to say, I'm. it's funny because both you guys, like, touched on the fact that it's like you know, unapologetically, like, they were doing their thing, and, and Eric, you had said, like, you could always tell kind of what The Clash was listening to because it, like, stemmed into their music. Um, so, I, another interview I came across, like, this was right around the time that the, the record was released, and Paul Simon, the bass player, he had said, he's like, the, the person asked, the interviewer was like, so what do you write about? And he's like, whatever's going on at the moment. And I think that that, like, rings true. It could have been just an off-the-cuff response, but, like, that held true through their entire career. Whether it's shit off Sandinista, like, some of the more new wave shit, um, to, to even to cut the crap, it's, like, across the board, you can hear what they were listening to. Whether it was the, the reggae shit, new wave, whatever it is, it, it's very interesting to see a band that that is that, like, uh, transparent, like, and unapologetically so. They didn't give a shit. They were just doing it. You know? And, right. and I think that's fucking great. Now, sure. um... Go ahead. I just wanted to touch on, like, uh, the big three, like... Well, I, I, don't, I don't know if you want to call them the big three, but like, when it comes to the Sex Pistols, the Ramones, and the Clash, it's like each one of them coming around at the same time, all labeled, like, OG punks, but yet all complete, like, really... I personally think all three of them sound extremely different. It's like you got the clash who are kind of like the rebellious, but super smart kids. And then you have the fucking uh, sex pistols who are obviously like the delinquent. (laughs) (laughs) They were the cancer corner kids for sure. Yeah. And then you have the Ramones who are just like the kind of the quiet, cool kids like at the party. And and, uh, I guess maybe the misfits somewhere like uh, with their head down in the corner, maybe. uh, (laughs) Yeah. It's just, like I said, like all around that same time, all labeled as like OG punk, but like really different sounds. And, and you know, like you said, the the mindsets of, of the Sex Pistols going out there and just trying to be the most crude, more like idiots they can be and, and really not even knowing half the songs and stuff like that. But then the Clash taking it very, very serious and the Ramones maybe not... Uh, the most musically gifted at first, but obviously uh, tuning into it later in their career. So, and uh, oh, yeah. I mean, this is a. Uh, here's the thing, too, is like it, as much as um, it's so interesting the contrast, too. Uh, I mean, obviously, with the Sex Pistols, never mind the bollocks. Um, seeing their their um. Seeing their album cover be so like what is it? It's like a like a piss yellow with the pink, you know, just the the logo kind kind of going in different stripes. They didn't put themselves on the record, and I always thought that was interesting as opposed to this Clash's debut where it's just them. Obviously, minus Terry Chimes. Terry Chimes played on the record, but he had since uh, he had left as they were rapping it, and Topper had not been introduced as a as a full fledged member. Dude, they, they went through, so uh, uh, it's interesting you bring that up. So, like, they, like, went through, like, 20 different fucking drummers. They were essentially, they were gearing up for a New Year's Eve show to play at the Roxy. And, obviously, we, we've all heard the Roxy. There's that crass song, Band from the Roxy. It's a short-lived fucking club in the U.K. It's this former gay bar that, you know, housed a bunch of punk acts for whatever, three months or something like that. But um, but they struggled to find a drummer, and and actually, Terry Chimes is credited, I think, in the recording of the White Riot single. But it's not Cherry. It's not Terry Chimes. It's like, it's like Cherry Crimes or some shit. Yeah, like yeah. Joe, they like Joe you Strummer know. Joe Strummer fucked with him. Like he fucked. He had a nickname for him, and I can't. 
I'm going to look at, because I got, I have the album in the other room, but I got the fucking, I got the CD here, so I'm going to see if it says it in here. I think it was anyway, like, go ahead. it was something Crimes. I know it was Crimes. Dude, it's, it's, dude, it's Tory Crimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, funny as fuck. And uh, what, so, do we do we know the overall reason why he he left the band? I know, I mean, I know he left. He wanted to leave, but was there like was it conflict, or do we know that? I'm not sure if I've ever heard the actual um, because he went on to he went on to drum for like Hanoi Rocks, and, and he br- actually briefly toured with Black Sabbath. So I, I think so. One of the things that I'd, uh, I'd read is that. Through the course of them going through so many drummers, the one of the big complaints is that like people were complaining that it was just a traumatic experience, and by by them saying that it was just like these guys were very serious. So they they were practicing out of like an old jukebox like repair facility or something, and they were obviously uh, England at that time. Everyone's super destitute. They're they're poor. There's like there's worker strikes going on. People can't fucking eat. And these guys like the the escape was to make music. And I think there was in the same sense of like Johnny's kind of militant attitude towards like, okay, we're going to put out a record. You know, we're going to practice. We're going to go and hit the road and fucking tour. Um, I think there was a little bit of that going on between obviously the three core members being Mick Jones, Joe Sherman, Paul Simonon. I think that they were like taking that seriously. Like, this is what we're going to do. And some of these other guys were like, why well, I just want to get shit faced and play the drums and fucking, you know, do some, do some speed and fuck chicks. I, you know, not in that order, but you know, they just, they were kind of in that, that headspace. Whereas, you know, the, the other guys were like, no, we want to do, this is what we want to do. We want to do music. You know, the other is kind of a secondary. So I'm, I'm wondering if that had something to do with it, you know, I mean, it's, you know, they didn't really, even in, I think, the few, like, Clash uh, documentaries or, like, Joe Strummer's, like, various documentaries I've seen of him as well, I don't think they really even dive deep into, like, what the departure was. I think it was because, like, he was just kind of, like, a more or less just a spot filler, and when they found uh, Topper, it was just kind of, like, over, you know? He drummed for them for the rest of their career. Right. Um... But I guess we'll never know the the tragic story of uh, Tory Crimes. Um, but uh, but back to what I was saying about uh, the album covers. I think it's so funny that the Sex Pistols were all you know were the look at me band. Look at me. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Um, but at the same time, they didn't. Uh, which, I, granted, I don't think any of them had any kind of say in what was going on. I, I think they could barely formulate sentences besides uh, Steve Jones, but. Uh, but the Ramones themselves on the front cover, the clash themselves on the front cover saying, this is us. This is exactly what we are. We are, what you see is what you get, but what you get obviously went on to last decades and decades and, and, and long past the deaths of many of these guys. But, um, but with that, that, that clash record, I think, you know, obviously I think rock the Casbah has like a, a, a little bit of, uh, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, it's, it's a memorable cover, but this and London Calling are definitely their most memorable album covers for sure. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you, I think there's a lot of people who probably aren't even really familiar with the music who, who would recognize both of those covers, to be honest with you. And I know the self-titles obviously has been reproduced by a lot of other bands. Um, but you know, especially the London Calling uh, covers are just iconic. Oh yeah, and uh, so I guess if we, uh, you know, where where would you guys rank this as far as uh, debuts? I mean, this is a pretty fucking strong debut record. I mean, I mean, obviously we're here to we're here to talk uh, about how great it is. So there isn't going to be a lot of uh, shit talking on it, obviously. But um, I mean, where does this rank as your debut albums? Like, obviously, me personally, and obviously, I'm biased because you know I'm a I'm a fangirl for the Ramones, as is Lou, as is anybody with a red, white, and blue bleeding heart. But uh, 
But uh, where does this rank for debut albums? Not even just in the punk realm, but like just in albums in general. I think this is a pretty. This I mean, that's very few. This has got to be if if there's a like a top fifty list. This is in that fifty, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, top, definitely top fifty. I mean, it would, it would be hard to to rank amongst the uh, if I went through all my personal like debut albums. But yeah, I, I got to think when it comes to. Uh, a band coming out, dropping a statement with their first record, that's definitely, yeah, it's without a doubt in the top 50, you know, even the top 20 probably. Because so. this didn't yeah. even get released in the U.S. until like 79, so obviously we are sticking right. with the, the U.K. track listing and everything, but, I mean, it had, there had to have been like a lot of bootlegging of this album for a few years, you would think, right? A lot of importing uh, for this record because the the states went without it pretty much without an official release for two years well like as as far as just before we like jump from that like you asking about like self-titled stuff so for me it's like i i'm i'm in the same camp as you i'm i'm an extreme fangirl for ramones obviously um but what's interesting about this album in my experience and i know that you and i've talked about this jesse but like my first purchase of Ramon's record was Pleasant Dreams. So this was my first Clash purchase was self-titled. So it's like, obviously, yeah, Ramon's self-titled is, is always going to beat out this as far as self-titles are concerned overall. But this is going to be right right up towards the top just because it's extremely fucking well put together. And what's very interesting about it is that it, it's so like lo-fi obviously because of the time, but also because of the money that they weren't able to put into it. So it sounds as fucking good sonically with such a lower budget. I, I think it fucking holds up like with, without a doubt. I would definitely rank this like for me, me personally, as far as like debut records, it's like, this would be in like the top, like 20, like w- without a doubt. It, it, but it's also because I have a different, experience with it you know right it was my first class purchase but also like it is their debut so it's like i have this this is very near and dear to me as far as like just albums in general so from like even like probably like mid 90s up and through the mid 2000s i think there were a lot of bands that I think even still to this day are desperately trying to record or re- recapture the quality of the the sound of this record sonically. Like because if you listen to like if you listen to the first re- the first song, Janie Jones, if you listen to like with the drum intro and just like that style, there's so many bands I feel like like I mean Eric, you can speak to this cuz you're a Gaslight Anthem fan. You could definitely hear the clash in the in Gaslight Anthem. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, a lot of bands, but you can, a, a lot of bands try to capture it almost like that, like that raw, rugged sound, but but at the same time, very clean. And it's funny that um, Lou said that about, like, how it holds up and stuff. Like, if you didn't know what year this came out and you listened to it, you know, with all the other releases, I mean, I think you would have trouble pinpointing. I mean, sometimes you can really pinpoint when a band had, like, their first release, you know what I mean? Like, whether how it's produced or whatever, but this sounds, you know, this is right up there with all, all of their other stuff, uh, both how it's like producing sounds and just the songwriting itself. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's like you said, till this, to this day, there's bands that are trying to recreate that sound, whether it be in, you know, lyrically or just anything musically with their, with their releases. I mean, that's just something a lot of bands like, and I guess when I'm talking more like the indie rock bands, you know what I mean? A band that's probably like a New York City band trying to break. Like, I mean, this may even sound like uh, a little like uh, foolish, but I'm a big Tegan and Sarah fan. And I feel like I hear the clash a little bit in their earlier stuff. Uh, I dude, mean, dude, they're so good. Oh, <laughs> they're yeah. So good. And they're so good fucking live. Whenever this shit blows over, have you seen him yet live? I've seen Tegan and Sarah twice, and it was both times were fucking amazing. Dude, so fucking good, so good. Anyway, I agree with that statement. By the way, I, you can definitely hear it. In, oh, especially on like on like so jealous in the con, you can definitely hear yeah. like Clash in there. Dude, the con, the con, as far as like if whatever you want to call it, fucking indie rock or or whatever, however you want to lump them into to wherever they fit into this whole uh, thing we call music. 
Um, dude, so, so so I don't even want to say severely underrated because that's not they they are very well received, but I just don't think they get enough recognition. They're fucking great. Erica, not to not to turn this into a Tegan and Sarah podcast, but uh, uh, are you familiar with Tegan and Sarah at all? I mean, I'm familiar with them. I, I will admit, I, I'm, I haven't really dove into their just. You know, I haven't heard a lot of stuff, just stuff here and there. So, well, if um, you, if you get a chance, hit uh, hit shuffle on Spotify. I was yeah, I definitely will do that. And you know, like like you said, like uh, with how eclectic the clash were like it's easy to hear their sound in a, in a you know like a lot so of many different genres and so many bands yeah i mean it went, like you said if it's indie or, or like a, or even like garage rock stuff like that like obviously um people loved them in all genres so and it's uh you know word is uh so where would you guys uh obviously we talked about where it ranks but what what songs are, are like the standout tracks for you on this one like what are your favorites is there anything you didn't really care for when you first heard it that grew on you or anything like that? I mean, there's not really any. I mean, this is pretty. This is pretty all killer and 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 not a lot of filler for sure. For sure, I think the way I, I love the way the record uh, opens up. Honestly, the first two tracks to me are like two of my favorites. I love Janie Jones. I love the drum the drum intro. Uh, remote control, another one of my favorites. Um, I got. I mean the. The reggae cover they do with the Police and Thieves cover is really, really cool. And then um, Garage Land, when they close the record, is also another one of my favorites on that. What about you, Lou? Dude, dude, White Riot is probably, like, so White Riot, it, White Riot and Janie Jones are the first two songs I learned how to play on the bass. No shit. But, like, White Riot in particular, like, I, I fucking love that song. So that is definitely one of my favorites. Um, I'm so bored with USA definitely grew on me or like grew on me as I kept listening to it. Cause it's, it's kind of, you know, it's a sing along song, whatever they're talking shit about the U S but, but anyway, like I, I, I came to love that song like a lot, but, um, yeah, white riot, Jane Jones, those are like, without a doubt, my, some of my favorite, but London, London's burning is, is another one too. Like, it's just such like when you, you listen to what he's saying and, that's another thing that I really enjoyed too about the clash. You know how, when you listen to like certain like UK, just people like British people in interviews. And sometimes it seems like you can't understand what they're saying. Yeah. I'll go down on the street and they're singable. You know, it's like, <laughs> you just say, so it's like, and I'm not making fun of, I'm not making fun of people from Britain, but like there is some sort of there there's, there's regional dialects that are sometimes difficult to understand. Oh yeah, and like the the Wales accent is super thick and so so with with the, with with the Clash, what I found to be very interesting, especially in their more anthemy songs, where you can understand what they're saying. They're not trying to be too. They're not trying to write a fucking goddamn book. You know, they're actually they're they're doing some of the more simplistic songs. Their their choruses again are very sing songy. I just love the fact that this album is, is, is obviously chock full of them. And dude, Eric, that police and thieves, that's like kind of that, that cover. That's like one of my like honorable mentions where it's like, yeah, this is badass. I going up, I was never a huge, like strictly like reggae or dub. I was never really into that shit. Obviously. Yeah. I love Scott and it came, it, it was a birthplace of Scott, you know, two tone and all, all that shit. But, um, I, I was never, huge into it you know like yeah if someone puts on bob marley like yeah i'll listen to it but i'm not gonna be like hey can you throw on that fucking can you throw on bob marley legend like i'm never gonna be that guy you know <laughs> but when i hear any of the clash covers i'm like yeah this is fuck this is great you know and uh and i did find out that so one of the reasons too like that they were super into that shit is um they were friends with like a dj and, and basically like on one of the like a good a uh, number of their shows that they were doing at the Roxy, they had this like fucking this uh, Rasta like DJ or I don't know if he's an artist. He would just spin like reggae and dub records before they would play their sets, and it landed with the white kids. I don't know, like apparently it went over very well. Like everyone from Johnny Ron to fucking Sid Vicious, like they were all all the all the young punks were like into this this raga, you know, like they were into it, which. I find it to be pretty interesting because it's kind of the opposite of punk rock, you know, but then that goes into the whole thing with like Rasta, like 
you know, like Bad Brains. It's like, they're a Rasta punk band, you know? Yeah. It's like, what the fuck is that, you know? Yeah. I mean, as much as I'm not like a diehard Bob Marley fan by any means, but I, I feel like a lot of that reggae was, uh, like, I guess, a, like a similar wave of punk where they were somewhat political mm-hmm. and they were kind of, you know, they had something to say, and I think maybe that's why maybe uh, there was the connection there. I, I like think you said you said bad brains, obviously. Yeah, I mean they they have you know straight up punk, they do straight up reggae, and it's a, it's a perfect mix. So that's uh you know I think it was uh I think it was the future is unwritten documentary on Joe Strummer, um where he talks through most of it, and you hear a lot of like his perspective, and I think his perspective was he kind of got you know they were guys that were not from any kind of cash at all like they were pretty like you know they were the in the doldrums and uh and i think uh you know joe strummer had said that you know they kind of related with a lot of the black population because of you know being you know poverty stricken and things like that and being like uh you know obviously having issues with the law and things like that and kind of be, being written off as kind of like society's uh you know society's grime uh so i think that's why you know they kind of kind of got linked up with the the reggae movement i think at the time uh at least that's what uh joe strummer said because i know he was kind of like a vagabond uh in those early years of the clash uh for sure so but uh as far as songs go i i obviously i'm i'm right there with you guys for uh janie jones like being like probably one of the best openers on any album ever um white riot obviously uh career opportunities it was just uh there is an urgency about the entire record, but still like a calculated urgency. Like they, they didn't, uh, like just, uh, Joe Strummer's delivery too. I almost, I, I feel like, uh, I mean, as much as I love Rancid, I do feel like without that Rancid would sound completely different if the clash didn't exist. Uh, they probably may not have even existed without the clash, but, uh, I mean, Tim Armstrong definitely like took so much from Joe Strummer. Um, uh, yeah, I was gonna say with Tim, you gotta think because Operation Ivy and yeah, they both they both are obviously highly influenced by the Clash. You can tell. So I mean, you're talking to the two like very seminal bands in their own right, Operation Ivy and uh, and Rancid, obviously being one of the biggest, you know, street punk, whatever punk bands, whatever you want to call them. Uh, of you know of all time right now uh you know i was gonna say of the 90s but they've transcended and had a, a career that's lasted over 30 years so and uh they're um but uh there was an urgency a calculated urgency about the clash you know like but you know there was almost like a like a little bit of a urgency slurring but you understood everything and it didn't it was just uh, only Joe Strummer could deliver vocals that way, and then you had, and then you had uh, Mick Jones, who was uh, completely different. Was very like, you know, almost like a the crooner of the band, you know. Yeah. Whereas Joe Strummer was kind of like the aggression. Jones got in this song about the condoms, you know. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, speaking of you know Joe Joe Strummer, though, I will say that. I, I don't like thinking about musically. He's got to be the like when you think of all these of the punk bands of this generation. I mean, Joe Strummer is so revered when it comes to. I mean, you see so many people talk about him and use him as an influence in all genres. You know what I mean? And probably more than any other frontman of, of that of the genre and uh, in that era. As well. I think that's extremely fair to say. So it's one thing that I want to mention because I find it pretty interesting that each one of us mentioned like Janie Jones in particular. And so like I had a couple like I read this uh, biography a while ago and I pulled it out and skimmed through a couple of things. It's uh, it's Redemption Song, uh, Ballad of Joe Strummers by Chris Salkowitz. It's basically just, you know, the the biography of of, uh, Joe Strummer. And they mentioned in here, I'll read you this little passage about Janie Jones. Uh, Despite being allegedly some vision of a dark dystopian future, from the moment the clash kicked off with Janie Jones, recorded almost live with none of the double tracking or overdubbing of some of the other songs, to its finale of Garage Land, the record managed paradoxically to be a warm, 
an all-embracing, a perfect summer album, one whose 14 songs rang out across the two sides without, uh, throughout the hot months that were like part two of the previous year's heat wave. So discard, dis- disregard that last thing about the fucking weather. I don't, I don't know what the fucking weather in the UK is like. All I know is that <laughs> it's pretty fucking cool to hear that like this, this, that song in particular was like some of the most low it was the most lo-fi recorded track on the whole fucking record and it's the opener yeah Dude, that's, that's balls right there you know like holy shit for sure wow welcome to the clash you know it's like wow uh england's weather is like uh seattle right just dark and rainy well that's pretty much that's pretty much like upstate fucking new york the last goddamn <laughs> i think yeah Oh, uh, fuck. Wait, hold on a second, dude. So you guys were talking about Rancid, and before we get get too far away from it, so have you guys listened to any sort of the Rancid shit, like, recently, like, in the last, like, five years, their last, like, two records or three records or whatever? Yeah, honestly, I'm not going to lie to you. The last Rancid album, and I'm, like, and Outcome the Wolves is one of my favorite records of all time. They're another one of those that's going to land in my top 50 if we are ever going to do a top 50. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And Outcome the Wolves, 19 fucking tracks. It was just fucking, I was obsessed with that record for so long. And, uh, and I, I like... Uh, I liked the stuff before that. I really liked the stuff, obviously, that had came after that. But the last record that I was fully in on for Rancid was definitely Indestructible. Beyond that, I do check out the albums, but they don't hit me the way Indestructible from and Outcome the Wolves to Indestructible hit me. So, dude, Troublemaker, which is 2017, um, solid fucking rock and roll record just i i definitely recommend it's very rootsy it's it's i would put it in the in the realm of a little bit more roots rock and roll i'm i'm from the lars school like i'm i'm a much more of a lars fan than i am of tim but i had this realization recently is that fucking so you you obviously know how tim's delivery with his lyrics right oh yeah there, dude tim armstrong is the bob dylan of punk rock i swear to fucking <laughs> christ dude it's so like like if you listen to what the fuck he's saying and, and nothing dude and i i love bob dylan i have nothing against dylan but like dude, have, tim armstrong is a is a mumbling have fucking you have, dylan. have you heard him talk though he has t- like partial tongue paralysis Partial tongue paralysis? Yeah, that's my fucking Saturday night. What does that even fucking mean? <laughs> so I've heard I've heard that he has had partial tongue paralysis. I've heard that he has and and I've read this several times. I actually read this in fucking um fuck, what was that one punk magazine that was around in the early two thousands? I'm blanking on the name of it right now. Yo, are you talking about uh You're not uh fuck, hold on a second. Uh, you're not talking about Ant or uh, what is it, Associate Press? Uh, alternative Press oh, uh, or Alternative Press? You're not talking about Alternative. Press, not al- right? not Alternative Press, uh, but I've read it in zines. Like, let's just say that there was a, a, a like a, a really like low key punk rock magazine. But I've read it in zines too. That he used to shoot heroin in his tongue, like uh, under his tongue, so that fucked his speech up. Because he kind of talks like he has a speech impediment, but I, I guess he hadn't always he hadn't always talked and or sung like that so that uh you know uh movie time to be on cutscene on the film is gone like that dude it's punk rock bob dylan man <laughs> that is so that is so hilarious can we get can that? we get shirts with tim armstrong on them that say punk rock bob dylan <laughs> What was that group he was, he was in with, like, Travis Barker? What was that? Transplants. Transplants, Trans- dude. Fucking love that, the Transplants. He kind of does that, and, like, I, I remember, I've I never really listened to too much of that, but doesn't he kind of sing like that in those, like, records, too? He's yeah, like- I'm telling you, it's not, like, a purpose thing. If you hear him talk, he was on this podcast for a while. He was, like, one of the co-hosts on the Boo Crew podcast, um, and they do, like, horror movies, horror movie, like, uh, uh, related shit, and he was on there, and they were talking with like Danny Elfman, and hearing him talk with Danny Elfman was fucking Holy hysterical. Fucking he's just like, he's like, he's like, so you were doing the the oingo, and now he just sounded like he has a list. But he, it like, I don't know, I, it's hard to do it. Like if you're not singing Ruby Soho or fucking Time Listen, Bomb, it's it's got to be bad if you're using your Timmy Mitchell voice. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, but. <laughs> We're fucking way in the weeds now, but 
it's all right let's it was fun let's reel her back <laughs> in though um but i think uh so uh the clash obviously like you know this record i think uh i mean not that i was uh and eric and i had talked about this recently uh you know i was uh i skateboarded but i was not fucking i wasn't jeff rowley uh you know i fucking i just skated because it was fun um but the clash was a skatable the clash self-titled was a skatable yeah. record man yeah same i was uh i was the tony chonk of skateboarding <laughs> but uh <laughs> that's actually you know i brought up uh the fun and skate there like i said they used to have skating that i actually i uh heard a lot of bands there for the first time uh it was pretty cool because, like I said, people would come in and play like their own cassettes or CDs. Uh, so I heard they used to jam like uh, Pennywise all the time. That was kind of like one of the first times I heard Pennywise in depth as well. So I, obviously, Pennywise carries a heavy political tone too. There's got to be uh, influence from the Clash with them. Uh, so the Clash's influence is just—it's undeniable. Like there's no denying the that all started with this record. And these songs, you know, and obviously sure. they had a career that wasn't as long as it probably should have been. Obviously, it spun off into, you know, Mick Jones doing Big Audio Dynamite and then, you know, Joe Strummer doing doing his own thing with uh, years later with, with the Mescaleros. Uh, and it's just a shame that Joe Strummer kind of died. So, you know, 52, uh, so young, like... Uh, you know, to think that we could have gotten a Clash reunion tour uh, would have been kind of insane. Yeah, super sad. Well, two thousand two, right? Two thousand two. Yeah. yeah, I were yeah, yeah. my mother's birthday. Two thousand two. I'll never forget that. I mean, I was watching. I think I was watching like MTV or something. You know, because they still play. I was watching like MTV two or something because at the time MTV two was still playing like a lot of a lot of music videos. Um, and I remember that coming coming across the street. I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, and we had just came off the deaths of Joey and Dee Dee too. And it was just like, "Holy shit!" Just that fucking. There goes all the chances of seeing the Ramones or the Clash ever. Well, <clears throat> dude, and it, it, it's funny you guys mentioned that about like you know the, this album being like a, a skatable, you know, album. So it's like in in my like kind of world, it's like when I was hanging out with, you know, you know Jeff, Nick, Trav, whatever my buddies what was nice is like so we would hang out smoke a little pot whatever i could put on some of this shit and it wasn't so aggressive as like some of the more like quote-unquote newer punk whether it was a no effects or, or rancid or, or whatever it wasn't as like in your face you could sit down and you could listen to this early clash material specifically the first record to where it would be a little you could appeal if you if you're sitting around smoking weed it's like oh you could put the, yeah i could put on a couple songs you know, we're not sitting down trying to listen to fucking full circle, you know, like, so it's like, it's interesting that, that it's like people could skate to it. People could smoke pot to it. You could, you could throw it on at a party and it's not going to be offensive. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it goes over well. That's what I'm really getting at, you know? Yeah. It's kind of just like a thorough, I mean, it sounds like, <clears throat> it almost sounds like insulting, but they're almost like a blanket band. Like I don't, I don't know if I would trust anyone that's like, eh, I'm not really into the Clash. <laughs> it's like, what does that even mean? What right, the yeah, fuck does that mean? They're appealing to so many. Yeah, like you said, that you can play it for a lot of people, whatever, no matter what you're into. Uh, you know, like like Jesse said earlier, he's hearing this on like classic rock stations where they're playing a plethora of stuff. Uh, they have songs that I think would appeal to almost anybody. Right. Yeah, and I mean, should I stay or should I go? You, you look at all these fucking years later, that song, you know, appears in Stranger Things and is like, you know, I think it it, it charted, like the single charted again after it debuted like and was in Stranger Things for that first season. Dude, I want to say that the same thing happened with Straight to Hell after uh, M.I.A., Yep. Sam yes, it did. Paper Planes, too, dude. Same deal. Dude, I'll never fucking forget that because... Like, I mean, obviously we've talked about and we were revering the self-titled record, but uh, I was another one who loved uh, Combat Rock, and I'll never forget when I was listening to fucking uh, the radio, like driving around, 
and I was like in between CDs and I fucking heard that like sample. I was just like, is someone fucking sampling straight to fucking hell right now? And Dude, sure as shit. It was in it was in Pineapple Express. Yeah. That's where like that's where I like I remember like you know seeing it seeing the movie and like the trailers and shit i'm like oh my fucking god somebody sampled it holy shit this is it's a good sample but at the same time it's like you sampled this mia yeah it's like really (laughs) okay i mean cool do your thing but i'm sure it wasn't her it was one of like the seven writers she had but one one of the 15 producers at wherever columbia or whatever the fuck she signed to (laughs) What do you guys think? Uh, MIA's Madonna or something? Come on, man. <laughs> you really think she had 15 writers? I don't know. If it took 15 people to write uh, paper planes, then, uh, the, you know, that's really sad. All right, now yeah. I'm looking this up. Dude, I'm doing the same thing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. Because guess what? I might try to fucking get her on the podcast if she wrote the song and wanted the sample herself. Dude, I call bullshit on that. There's no fucking way. There's no way. I'm just, gonna, I, just, I just want to say also, uh, looking up MIA, there's an uh, there's a, uh, old uh, punk band called MIA. You guys listen to them? I have not, but I've heard, I've, I've heard them referenced a bunch. I know who you're talking about. No, I got you. See. She is English, so right. Which I didn't so know. That. But there I guess, that. I guess uh, I guess fuck me for not knowing. Uh, we got to get to the bottom of it, though. We got to know. She doesn't even have Yo. a fucking discography. <laughs> it's all singles. <laughs> she went the Beatles route. Yo, so, so here's the thing. This is this is how it's uh this is how it's written here. Paper Planes is a song written and recorded by English hip hop artist MIA for a second studio record. We don't give a shit. Produced and co-written by Diplo. The song features blah blah blah. So okay, so it's it's co-written by Diplo. So do you guys listen to like Major Lazer or Di- or, or Diplo or any of that shit? He's a producer. That's all you got to know. Yeah, he's a, pr- know he's a producer. I, mean, I listen to a little bit of the, like electronic stuff. I know Diplo is like really big at that. But yeah, like when you look at the Wikipedia, it shows MIA Diplo, and then it actually lists all the members of the Clash as writers as well. So, right, exactly. Uh, I understand yeah, you, you you tore her down for no reason. And I had to fight for her. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, Diplo is thankful. <laughs> So I guess uh, I guess wrapping this one up. I mean, where does uh, you know? Do you do you think? Because uh, I don't. I mean, there are some bands like that, like have like an impact. But I mean, I just don't know if there's going to be bands around that are going to have this the the lifelong impact that bands like The Clash or The Ramones have had, and have these debut albums. You know, I feel like I mean it. I know I'm gonna like album. I'm gonna like bands. I'm gonna like newer bands. I do like bands that are probably like eight or ten years into their career, and I love their debut records. But I don't know if like like I'm a big Four Year Strong fan, and they're kind of like a like a I guess for lack of a better uh, genre, they're like a pop punk band, but they have like metal riffs, and they're super poppy, but they also have like super metal like riffs. Uh, but they, you know, as much as I love that band, like their first record, you know, their debut record isn't going to have an impact the way, like, The Clash's debut record had or, like, The Ramones' debut record had. Do you think, like, bands, like, do you do you think that the era has, has come and gone and has been gone for a while for bands that have, like, these records that, like, break ground? I mean, I feel like if it breaks ground now, it's all with, like, dubstep or, like, pop or, like, hip-hop. There aren't really... You know, as far as like bands in this realm, the punk rock, the rock, like, and when I say rock, I mean real rock bands, like, like you know, obviously, like you think of the Foo Fighters debut and things like that. When I when I say rock, I mean real rock bands, not like these kind of like faux rock bands that kind of exist within the the linear timeline of all the real rock bands. Well, it's like I, I think you're I think you're onto something just in in general with talking about debut albums 
because I think we we've kind of moved on from that. Unfortunately, it's it's all about singles. It's all about you know a, a short EP. Nothing against EPs, but like it's all about how can I capture someone's attention for three minutes versus like here's an album. And it's like don't get me wrong. It's like you said. It's like Ramon self titled, dude. Fucking movement by New Order is like another one of my favorite fucking records, and that's a debut album. The Clash's debut album, like. I think now we've almost moved to this this area this area where everyone's so fucking they they they're so distracted constantly where it's like you can't get somebody to sit down and listen to a full fucking record unfortunately and it's like and and this is I'm not necessarily saying this is is the same in in you know the punk audience or the rock crew but I just think people in general and it sucks but I don't know I I don't I don't know if hopefully we'll see a return to that, you know, where people can just relax for fucking 30 minutes or 28 minutes or whatever it is and listen to a goddamn album, you know, but who knows? Yeah. yeah. I think it speaks to, like you said, sorry, sorry, Jesse, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it's just like, it's the timing. It's, it's the way things are now. Like, like, uh, like Lou said, it's very hard. Like, I know that we're kind of, a, we're cut from a different class where, a record comes out, I like to, you know, listen to it in full usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think a, a mass amount of people, that's not how they 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 take their music these days. It's, it's singles. It's, you know, it's uh, you got your Apple Music or your Spotify, which I have those too. But I think a lot of people just like songs. They'll, they'll, they'll listen to a single, but they might not listen to the full thing. So, and when it comes to like punk or or hardcore or like genres like that, like, I guess at this point it's tough to be to be groundbreaking or something like that because it's been done, you know. I mean, there are bands that come out that obviously I, I still I like and I love and I listen to, but but to have that sort of impact these days is tough because I feel like the odds are against you. I mean, back in the day, you put out a you put out a record. I mean, people get that vinyl. You're not, you know, you have to. You're listening to the full record usually. It's, it's, and it's something that a lot of people haven't heard before. But uh, it's just, it's so strange how things are these days when it comes to any sort of media, but music especially. Uh, it's just viewed so much differently, and 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 so much stuff has been done. So that's mm-hmm. uh, that's true. Uh, you know, uh, getting towards wrapping this up. Uh, something. Uh, Jack Black said in an interview once uh, when he, he taught, they talked about, you know, how, how do you keep like uh, originality and creativity? He's just like, you can't Tony Iommi wrote all the great riffs. <laughs> and it's true, but it's true. You know I mean? Think about some of these, when you think of like the greatest punk bands or the greatest metal bands or hardcore or anything, you're usually not touching on a band that's come out, you know, in 2010 or, or later you're thinking of stuff that's you know it's it's older it's it's tough it's tough to maintain and and to i give these bands credit but that's why you hear so many bands that sound like something else it's like they're not really doing anything different but can they do anything different you know what i mean i don't know so uh i mean go ahead lou i was just gonna say i mean to to go along with that it's like i i hope that that continues to drive people to do unique shit you know, I, I often use like I, I know you, Jesse, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but like Crystal Castles is another one of my favorite bands. And while they do draw influence from a lot of different electronic elements, whether it's eight bit fucking video game music in their first record to some of the more aggressive, like straight, like dark wave fucking however, whatever fucking specific genre you want to see on it or you want to stamp on it. That's the band that I've seen the most live ever. And I'm sorry, I, who, who were you talking about? I, I just didn't hear uh, who you were talking about. Uh, Crystal Castles. Oh, okay, perfect, yeah. So it's like, that would be an example for me. It's like when I think about bands that have worked hard to do something that is a little, when you, I, I'm sorry, it's like, if you listen to Baptism for the first time, it's like, I play that at like parties and like when we're hanging out and people are like, what the fuck is this? Like, shut this off now. And it's like, it's not really meant to be like an aggressive, like uh, offensive thing, but I, I would I would hope that more bands kind of strive to do that to where, you know, they're like not trying to reinvent the wheel, but it's like, let's take our own spin and do something unique, um, you know, and, and I feel like it'll go one of two ways. You know, people people are just going to continue to kind of to, to lean into that 
well, you know, I'm in this rut and I'll sound like these, these bands, or it's like, let's work towards doing something that is a little unique, you know, our, our, our spin on something, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the only, uh, the only thing we can hope is that, you know, that these records, uh, keep living on and, and, you know, some 13 year old kid right now is, you know, home on quarantine and he's scrolling through Spotify and, you know, he finds Rancid and then, you know, a suggested artist is The Clash and then he listens to this record and, you know, that changes him the way it kind of, you know, changed us when we first heard something like this, you know, The the Clash self-titled and he hears that, that drum intro and Janie Jones and, you know, everything changes for him and he picks up a guitar and he, you know, that that record will still prove to break ground, I think, today because I think, I think those records are timeless. Obviously, everyone says this. Um, but, uh, I guess, uh, to wrap up, what's your, what's your qu- quick synopsis, each of you, you know, why does this album matter? Dude, Eric, that's all you, man. Why does it matter? I mean... To you, to you, why does it matter? It, it just matters to me for what, it, like I said, what it stood for, uh, you know, Joe Strummer being such a, a force, the whole band being such a force. I mean, it matters to me because, you know in my early music stages listening to this, it was so different, uh, how broad, how broadened my horizons to lots of things, uh, musically. Um, these songs are timeless. And like I said, I think the clash, most of the bands that I listen to today or have listened to my, my whole life were influenced by the clash and, uh, you know, they definitely have changed my life. So, yeah, I mean, it, this this album matters to me uh, because it, it kind of, you know, it, it like I said before, it's like this was the first physical record that I, had, you know, the first physical album that I had gotten from the band. And uh, I just listened to it ad nauseum. I, I learned some of, you know, the first bass songs uh, that, that I learned after getting a bass was, was from this, this album. So it's like, it's stuck with me ever since. And um, you know, as I said before, this this mattered just in, in history because I don't know. I think it proved that that UK punk uh, had a future. It was conscious. It wasn't a bunch of stupid kids. You know, it was it was unique. It was here to stay. It wasn't just a phase, mom. You know, like so exactly. Here's what... And uh, yeah, you, how about you, Jesse? This is you know, it's forty three years old as of we're recording this on Friday, but on April eighth. 2020 this record turned 43 years old and this album matters because you know you know this illustrious uh, quote-unquote podcast is doing uh you know talking about why this album matters i think even if uh you know if they uh if they knew that you know th- just three people right now were dedicating over an hour of their lives to j- just to talk about this this album, I think that right there proves it. Like, even if it's only three people, even if everyone else was a complete goddamn Nimrod and had no clue about the clash, <laughs> you know, it, it at least had an effect and it mattered to three people. So, and I think that's what the clash always cared about. Like, even if it matters to one person, that's all that matters. And, uh, this album matters, uh, for that very reason, the, the fact that we've just, you know, 43 years later, it's older than all of us. Um, and it's, uh, you know, we're talking about it 43 years later, uh, talking about what impact it's made and how much we love it still. So, you know, in another 43 years, uh, you know, bar- barring heart attacks, strokes, COVID-20, 21, COVID-25, whatever, uh, you know, you know, in another 43 years, you know, three other friggin' fools are going to be talking about it on another podcast. Oh, yeah. I have. Uh, I just have a question. Uh, we don't have to rank these, obviously, or anything. But is this your guys' favorite Flash release? No. Yeah, I was. I was just curious if it was like your number one or, or whatever. No, this is my. No, this is my number two, and I will say my number one is London Calling. This. This is my number one for all those reasons that I just listed off. I just have like it, it, a different kind of experience with it. Um, you know, just from my my youth of learning how to play music and and all that shit. Um, yeah, this is definitely my number one, dude. I I haunted my freshman dorm mate 
in my in my dorm rooms because like I brought all these just obnoxious posters. I did an enormous fiend skull poster. I'll send you guys into a group ch- group chat at some point. But um, yeah, I, I fucking love this. This is one of my faves. One of my faves. Definitely my favorite Clash release. By you, Eric. Uh, I'm with you, actually. Let me call and be my my favorite. This would be second. Nice. I mean, that's uh, that's still. I mean. London Calling's another one, you know. Perhaps down the road we'll we'll tackle that beast too. But today it was all about the self-titled uh, Clash, nineteen seventy-seven. Uh, what a record! Uh, you know, what songs? What an impact! What an album cover! And I'll leave you with this before we uh, we sign off. Uh, in two thousand one, when I walked into a hot topic. I had two. I had two. Two choice. I I already had my Ramon shirt, and I went there to pick up a Clash shirt because I needed a Clash shirt, and it was between the self-titled record and the London Calling record. I unfortunately did not pick the self-titled record, which I wish I would have, but I do love the London Calling record. Obviously, it's my favorite, and I still have that London Calling T-shirt. And today. I wish that I wouldn't have bought whatever the fuck other shirt I bought. I can't remember what I bought, but I wish I would have bought the other Clash shirt, the self-titled shirt, too, because I still have the London Calling shirt from 2001. Oh, that's awesome. And you could find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Breaker, Stitcher, uh, wherever. Not on Podbean, though. Lou, have you ever heard of fucking Podbean? Podbean? Yeah. No, that sounds like somewhere you call and they charge you for money to have someone talk dirty to you. Yeah, <laughs> it really does. Uh, it, could, it could very well be, actually. <laughs> apparently, we're not on Podbean, and fucking Dan Clawson and two other people are still fucking getting their podcast from fucking Podbean. Podbean, all right. O- operating out of fucking Wompsville right now with fucking... <laughs> trying to fucking break science with fucking their algorithms. Uh uh, but you can find us on all the all those uh, wonderful podcast sites. Not Podbean. Fuck Podbean. Uh, now I'm gonna go out of my way to put us on Podbean after I said fuck Podbean. Uh, but we're on Instagram at HeartGuideMedia. We are on Twitter at HeartGuideMedia. You can get at us there, comment on the posts, or just fucking ignore it and scroll and fucking like some stupid fucking face mask goddamn post someone's posting. Uh, but yeah, this album matters. The Clash. The Clash. Lando!